Here he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. So, Jambar, here we've got a new sponsor. Yes, mate. So, for season two of the Hitting the Areas podcast, we have a brand new sponsor. Uh, the guys at Ellsbury Glazing Repairs have kindly sponsored us for this season. Um, so, for any sort of glazing and window repairs, they're your guys to go to. So you know when um, your windows blow and you get all that sort of condensation and, and maybe some water inside the glass. Yep. These are the guys to talk to. Um, I've literally just had it done. My missus has been banging on for ages about getting it done. I had them come in. They've taken a look and they've done a brilliant job. It's like I've got new glass. Um, so, yeah, if you are looking for... Um, that type of service in the area so any sort of window repairs or any glazing specialities um you need to give them a call so you can give them a call on 07-889-730-995 or you can email them at glazingrepairs at hotmail.com now they normally serve the likes of buckinghamshire oxfordshire hertfordshire and bedfordshire um and their aim is to give you a clearer view every time you can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Nice one, Jambo. Let's get back to the podcast. Welcome to the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and my co-host, Richard Kyson. Welcome back. It is season two of the Hit in the Areas podcast, episode one, and we are delighted to be back. It's been a long time, um, but yeah, we're back. And we can't wait to get started. We can't wait for you to hear all the new guests. Um, we've had some fantastic feedback, uh, which you heard about in the last ep episode of the review preview. Um, Rich, how are you? I'm good, Jambo. Uh, and it has been far too long, hasn't it? Uh, a lot, a, a lot's happened, um, as you, as you'll know from the review preview show. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a way to start with this first guest um it's safe to say we're back with a bang yeah so uh, today's guest is um everyone will be fully aware now that myself and and rich are uh, tottenham hotspur supporters uh we're both season ticket holders now um and uh we thought what better way to uh start series with an absolute legend um of tottenham hotspur um, so today we have Mickey Hazard. We contacted Mickey. So this was one that we recorded um, over a year ago. Uh, we spoke to Mickey about his career. We spoke to Mickey about, you know, him starting out in football, uh, playing with some absolute unbelievable players and Ozzy Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle, Ricky Villa, um, to name a few, Rich. I mean, what I mean, what have you got to say on it? I know you, oh, you, had a, you really enjoyed this. Uh, I was I, I, not only was I astounded that he replied, I was astounded he he said yes to come on. Um, because you know, let's have it right. He is an absolute. He is an absolute club legend. Um, he is still treated by the club as a legend. He does all the legend tours. He does the legend talks. He does everything. And if you ask any Spurs fan, they'd all have a very, very high opinion of this man. Um, and I can't wait to hear him talk about his story. Yeah. 
Okay, today on Hitting the Areas podcast, we have an absolute Tottenham Hotspur legend. We have got the one and only Mickey Hazard. Mickey, how are you? Very good, thank you guys. Looking forward to the show. Thank you so much. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm a big Tottenham fan. My co-host is a big Tottenham fan. Uh, so, Big Rich, say hello. Evening, lads. Mickey, okay, mate? I'm very good, Rich. And you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks for coming on. Much appreciated. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Um, Mickey, uh, you, you had a superb career. Um, played, played for two of the biggest clubs in London. We're going to focus on Tottenham. Thank you. Being, being big Spurs fans. Um, so, a lad from Sunderland. How does a lad from Sunderland end up at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club? By accident, I think, um, or look, whichever way you want to look at it, you know, the assistant manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club under Terry O'Neill was a guy called Wilf Dixon, who was born and bred in Sunderland, as luck would have it. And, and of course, he then decided, because uh, the North East is such an upbeat of football, that he would set up a very, very small scouting, net, consisted, a scouting network consisting of one man who was his good friend uh, and who was obviously very good uh, scout and, and loved football. Um, so we set up that one scouting network, that one man, um, and obviously somewhere down the line of, between my age of sort of 10 and uh, 11, uh, he came and watched the game that I was playing in. And from that moment, he attended every single game that I played in, whether it be for my school, my town, my county, he was there. Um, and, and not only there, he, he got to know who my parents were, befriended my dad, um, started to come around my house for dinner, uh, started to invite me around his for dinner, and then every Sunday, which I didn't want to do because I'd played Saturday morning and Saturday <laughs> afternoon, so I was shattered on the Sunday, and I used to have to go and train with him on a Sunday. Um, so I didn't particularly enjoy that side of the training, but obviously he was Spurs uh, scout, so I had no options but to say yes. Obviously there was lots of other clubs involved, but because of the time and effort that he put in to um, winning my signature when I turned 14, um, he won the won the war really because all the northeast clubs they thought that I would join them because I was from the northeast. Mm. Um, but ultimately you have to show. Um, a bit more ambition than just presuming someone is going to sign for you just because he's a Northeast kid. Uh, and my dad sort of being reasonably educated, he said that you, know, you go to your local club, they have 300 kids on the book books. So nobody gets any individual tuition, any individual attention. So it's sort of limited what you can get. Whereas if you travel 300 miles to a club, the club pays for all your expenses, your hotel, your your um, food, your drink. So they spend a little bit of money on you. So therefore, give you more time and attention mm. and, more, and more chance to develop and grow. Um, and the logic was very logical. And, and, and so obviously, when I was able at 14 to sign schoolboy forms, um, bang, that was it, Tottenham. And from that moment on, we, we came down to Tottenham, me and my dad, every school holiday and spent the full school holiday down training with Tottenham. So it was amazing. Wow. What was that like then when when the day come to then sign your pro? Um, at the age of 16, um, obviously that's when you, you've spent your two years as a schoolboy playing in the schoolboy teams, 
traveling down training. I, I was very lucky. I got to train with the first team on a few occasions um, during that period. So at 16 to come down full time, I must be honest, um, the first two years from 14 to 16 were absolutely incredible. Um, it felt like um, this was where I was meant to be. And then at 16, um, when the reality set in that suddenly I was leaving home, I wasn't coming down for a week here and a week there with my dad by my side. I was coming down by myself to this big place called London, didn't know a single solitary soul, um, and wasn't going back home for three months. Um, so you, you managed to get off every three months for a weekend. And the reality set in, and I, suddenly I wasn't going to see my mum, my dad, for three months. I wasn't going to see my brothers, my sisters, my friends, aunts, uncles, nan, granddads, nothing. Uh, and I got incredibly homesick. Uh, on top of doing possibly the hardest training, it was pre-season. I'd never, ever done a pre-season, so I had no idea of what to expect. Um, and we did the hardest pre-season. Uh, the first day I got... Uh, I don't know what hit me. I, I remember going to bed um, that night, waking up next morning. I actually couldn't get out of the bed. I was that stiff. Uh, and I was only 16. So, um, no, it was a very, very tough period of my footballing life. So at that point, would you have gone into um, into like accommodation, living with a family down in London? Yes, we Dinks, went into Dinks, as they call it, yeah. Uh, again, you know, when you talk about, Settling into um, life in a in a new area, I, I sort of travelled down, as, and, and incredibly lucky was I. I found an Irish family um, that sort of had three sons, um, um, one my age, one just a year younger, and one two or three years younger. Um, wonderful people, absolutely wonderful. Um, in, in fact, one of them was godson to my first child. One of them was my best man at my wedding. So um, I was very fortunate that I met such lovely people and actually lived with them for six years. I, I remember that um, I, I sort of was playing in the first team and I was still living in Diggs um, in my sixth, sort of seventh, six, six and a half year. I was still living in Diggs and I was on the verge of winning the FA Cup. Wonderful family. Um, I, I've got to say, if it wasn't for them, I'm not sure I would have um, stuck at it in, in, in London. Uh, but they were amazing. And, and, and within 18 months, I sort of settled so easily and, and sort of wondered how I'd ever got homesick. Um, you know, it was the right move, the right place. It was chemistry uh, and everything just was perfect. It's still amazing that digs are around today with with families that look after young boys i still find you know going back from that generation to this generation was that football clubs are still doing it it's great i'm not too sure other than building a dormitory for them i'm not i mean i'm not too sure if some of the premier league clubs not all of them do it yeah because they've got their own little sort of places where they stay um but i've got to say that if you ask me, uh, it's it's the perfect. If you find the right environment, the right house, the right family, um, who are very disciplined, they were incredibly disciplined. In other words, they wouldn't let me out. Um, they fed me the right foods. 
what I ate when I wasn't around them, they didn't need to know. Uh, but, but when I was in, when I was in and around them, um, they created a, a fantastic family environment, which is where I'd came from, from my own family. So to to sort of move into this digs with the family that were so lovely and so wonderful and so strict and disciplined in the way they dealt with me, uh, knowing that I was a young up-and-coming footballer who had to have sort of certain restrictions put on them so to give them the best opportunity to succeed. So in that respect, they were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Good stuff. So if I'm right in saying, uh, the manager at the time would have been Keith Birkinshaw? It was, yes. Um, Keith, what an absolutely wonderful man. And um, you, you know what? He rings me every, every couple of weeks. Right. Really? Even oh, brilliant. Yeah, and if I haven't rang him, he gets on the phone and he says, Oi, you haven't rang me for, for how long? <laughs> right? So I, he's 85 now, Keith. So I said, what are you on about, Keith? I rang you two days ago. He said, did, did you? Bless yeah, him. two days ago, Keith. I didn't have <laughs> rang for about three or four weeks. Did you? Jackie, this is his wife's name, Jackie, didn't make you ring me two days ago. <laughs> Does he do that with all the players, Mickey? Does he? I don't does he know. Still uh, you don't know. I don't, I don't oh. know. I, I, I think he, he would do it with a few, um, but I yeah. think that I got um, I got very close to Keith because I started doing Legends evenings, mm. um, yeah. and obviously in, involved Keith in a lot of them. Uh, we used to have a lot of banter with him, and, and we got very close uh, because when he was my manager, I, I don't think I'd ever said a, a dicky bird to him because I was so quiet and shy as a as a kid. Uh, so I hardly spoke to Keith when I was a player. Um, <laughs> maybe he shouted at me a few times and I shouted back, but we never spoke. Um, but nowadays, absolutely get on so wonderful with him. Um, he just invited me to, uh, well, not me, uh, to, where did he invite me? To some function yeah. with, with with his missus, you know? Um, I can't remember what it was, uh, but I've got this... <laughs> Message on the messenger. You'll have to phone him, Mickey. Well, yeah, I I left the phone and said, Keith, I rang you four days days this week and you haven't told me yet. (laughs) He actually believes me when I say I I have, honestly. Bless bless him. So what was that like, Mickey, um, when you turned pro at that uh, that young age, going into a squad with some absolute huge names, excellent footballers, people like Steve Perriman, Glenn Hoddle. What was that like going into that squad? Um... I didn't actually go immediately into the squad at 16. Obviously, you're in and around them and you're sort of cleaning their boots and they're making their kit up every day. And Who's um, were you cleaning, by the way? Who's? I didn't do any of the, the big names. None of them wanted me. <laughs> because I, I, I used to clean them so badly. Uh, every every apprentice, used to, or YTS, whatever it was called, every apprentice used to get paid at Christmas 25 quid mm. off their player. They never gave me a penny. Oh. <laughs> I was too busy in the gym practicing my skills um, to be cleaning boots. So next morning, every day, we used to have to clean them every day. And every morning, that's would that say to me. So I always had a young pro. I never got one of the top pros. <laughs> but it was, um, it was serene. You know, you have to remember that it, up until the age of 16, I, I'd sort of more or less seen these you know, from the age of 10, 11, I've become a Spurs fan because obviously I'd, I'd been, I'd, I'd been scouted and signed by Spurs. Yeah. So, um, 
training alongside them every now and again um, as a schoolboy was amazing. But you know, you're joining a, a club with household names that you only ever see on TV, um, and you've got to go in as a shy northeastern young lad <laughs> and sort of assert your authority. You know, I was really fortunate that you could put me, sit me in the dressing room amongst 20 of the first team squad and I would sit there and I wouldn't speak. And if, even if they said hello, I'd just go, uh, 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 uh. but on the football pitch, I wasn't, it was almost like it was my place to chill and relax and not be shy, sort of brought me out my shell. So I was able to express myself when I trained with them um, but not express myself when I was sitting in the dressing room with them, which was unusual, really, because some people would be much more afraid of uh, training with them, mm. um, whereas I was the opposite. I was much more afraid of sitting in the dressing room chatting to them than I was playing football with them. I never felt, um, obviously, there were some unbelievably great players, but I never felt overawed on the basis of that. Number one, I was, I was quite lucky because I was very gifted, mm. so I never felt in awe of the fact that they were so much better than me. They had more experience and maybe more know-how at that stage, but I, not many of them, with possibly the exception of Glenn, had more skill than me. Um, so I never felt overawed on the training pitch, but I did in the changing rooms, God. Always that confident in your own ability? Um, I, I wouldn't say it was confidence. I think it's... You know, you know you're very talented. I knew I was very gifted. Um, I also knew that I had flaws in my makeup that might, you know, listen, I'm not a big religion. I'm not religious for that by any stretch of the imagination, okay? But what I, when I talk about it, I think when we're made, we're made and we're given talent. And I think the more talented you are, the more flaws you get. And whoever decides to give me that talent decides to give me that flaws and he, he, he makes the statement that he says, right, okay, how you, how you control your flaws will decide how great you become, right? So I had this wonderful talent, but I also had this streak in me that says, no, 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 no. There's only one way to play this game, one way. That's the beautiful game with flair, creativity, imagination, skill, technique. You know, that this, this sort of... Um, up and at them or up and under and all of this lot wasn't in my vocabulary. So if my manager ever said to me, this is what I want you to do today, I'd say no. I said, you, you know, yeah. within the framework of the team, picking me, you have to pick me to play to my strengths. Um, so consequently, often I would have a row with the manager for maybe he'd pick me, like sometimes when Tony Galvin was injured, he would put me on the left wing. Well, I've never been a Tony Galvin. So I used to think to myself, no, I'm not playing left wing. I, yeah, you can put me there, but I'm going to wander inside all day long. <laughs> when Glenn brings on 70-yard passes to the left wing, I'm not going to be there. Uh, unfortunately, I never got to grips with my floor until uh, flaws until it was maybe too late. Uh, when, when I, you know, experience brings about wisdom. Mm. And and um, as I got sort of to my sort of 30, 30th year, I sort of lost a bit of that stubbornness, um, recognised that uh, I was always a team player, don't get me wrong, within the, I always used my talents within the framework of the team, but I wouldn't play, try and, if he said, 
boot the ball long or put the ball in Roy's head, I wouldn't do it. It's just not in my makeup. Um, but when I was 30, I, I, I started to learn that, listen, you can't always be great with the ball. Um, you can't always do wonderful things. You know, when you're not doing these wonderful things with the ball, you have to work your socks off, you have to tackle more, win headers more, and you have to contribute in, in other ways. Um, rather than in my younger days, I just give me the ball and let me play. I just want the ball at my feet so I can beat three men and hit a wonder pass or chip the goalie or 30-yard pass. Or, you know, I didn't want to sort of really indulge in the sort of ugly side of the game. Mm. I always thought, well, God made pretty footballers and he made ugly footballers and ugly footballers do the job of working, chasing, tackling and winning the ball. <laughs> and the pretty footballers, they do the skills and the passes and the, t uh, the through passes and all of that. Um, so I never sort of got to grips with the ugly side of the game. I always wanted to play the, the beautiful game. We it's certainly ended up why... in the right club for that. Absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, people say to me, you know, a young boy from Sunderland, um, 300 miles away, you, you have such a love for Tottenham. Um, it's untrue. And I always say, well, somehow we're sort of a match made in heaven, Spurs and me, because... Um, their philosophies and my philosophies, you know, to dare is to do or dare, or dare to say, uh, is, is the way I believe. You know, I, I never wanted to get the ball and just pass it back to a centre-back. Of course, sometimes I would have had to, but I didn't want to. I always wanted to do something that I enjoyed doing and, and it was creative and it was, and that's best that, you know, to dare is to do. You know, I always say to youngsters yeah. when I coach them, you know, one of the things I say to them is, listen, when you've got the ball at your feet, never do the same thing twice. And Glenn Oddle said it to me, never do the same thing twice. Because when you're young, you can do the same things a hundred times and it'll come off. And as you get to 13 and 14, it'll only come off 20 times. And as you get to 15 and 16, it'll come off 10 times. Mm. But by the time you get to 18, it'll only come off once because you're mm. playing with, with and against much, much better players who have an understanding. So they're looking to find what you're good at and stop you, force you somewhere else force you to do something you're not good at. Um, so youngsters, I said, don't always do the same trick, the same skill, the same dummy, the same body swerve. Learn a variety of them and learn them with both feet so that, you know, if you've got six tricks with your right foot, learn the same six with your left foot, it'll give you 12 tricks. Mm. Uh, you know, step overs, for instance, if you step over and go that way to come back that way, the next time step over to go there, then step over to go there and then come back there. So always vary what you're doing um, so that the opponent never gets a, a grip of what you're doing. It, you know, like take tennis. If he always serves it down the middle, the, the Djokovic always serves his serve down the middle. Federer is always waiting on the middle line, just smacking it straight back. You know, well, that's what I try to... Don't be predictable. Don't do the same thing. Uh, create them problems. So you show them five or six tricks, um, but never... Um, they then get which ones you're going to do, you know. Mm. Um, and, and again, I used to say, never show your hand. You know, I see players running with a ball in space, doing sometimes Lamella does it, you know, he's running along in space and he's doing yeah. foot rollers, drag backs, and everything. And I think, why are you showing them that you've got that skill? Use that <laughs> roll skill over. When, what, yeah. when you're in a tight situation, when you need that skill, pull it out the bag, you know, mm. don't show your hand before you need to because good <laughs> players at the very top of the game they will learn next time yeah. you do it if you've done the same they're ready and waiting 
Yeah. Does that frustrate you, Mickey, if if you see that in this day and age at at the top level? Does that frustrate you when you see someone continuing to do the same thing? Do do, do you think back to when Glenn said, don't do the same thing twice, and you're thinking, why has he not been told something like that? Well, uh, of course. Ultimately, the the, the whole thing rests with the success. I... If you do the same thing time after time after time after time and it's successful, it doesn't matter. Mm. But if you're doing the same thing and, and, and then getting caught in possession and you're still doing the same thing, um, then sort of you've got to start asking questions of yourself because I'll be sitting and watching the screen asking questions of you thinking, yeah. what are you doing that? You did that three times on the spin. Twice you took the ball off. You don't do it again. Mm. Confuse and do something different. You know, so yeah, yeah, of course it frustrates me, but ultimately, if it's successful three out of three, keep doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, but also in modern day football as well, much more so than in my day, is there's so many TV um, games played and so many clips and reruns and slow motion videos. So every time you do the same thing, it's going to be picked up on TV when they're oh, yeah. re-watching that game. So next yeah. time they're ready for it. And that's why you have to have such variety to your game so that um, you never know. I had some tricks that I used to feel were unstoppable no matter how many times I did it because it was unstoppable because I, I had the ball at the very furthest point away from the man. Um, so they, they were never going to get the ball no matter what I... If I did this trick repeatedly, they could never get to the ball because it was at the very furthest point away. Um, so I, I, I used to go one way um, and I used to check behind me, but I used to hold them like this. And then I used to let them just push my hand. And the minute they push my hand forward, I would spin out and go the other way because their momentum would come through. One of the people say to me, do you regret playing with Ozzy and Glenn? Because ultimately you should have had 500 Spurs games under your belt. Instead, you've got 170. No, because... Ozzy was the one who taught me that too. I, I learned that of Ozzy, watching him and speaking to him about it. Um, just like Glenn would say, never do the, be repetitive, whatever. So there was so much to learn from me of these great players to add to my game. Um, and, and little tricks of the trade, you know, not many people would say, use that. And the minute they're forcing their arm through you and pushing your arm forward, their momentum's coming forward now. Yeah. That's the moment you spin and go the other way, you know? So uh, I used to coach it to kids when I worked at Spurs in the academy, um, you know, And but it's 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 more, it, it's something that it has to be in your makeup. It has to be in your locker. You have to be naturally gifted to sort of be able to do those things. But when you're young, uh, this is the time you should be learning all those skills and all those little tricks of the trade. You know, by the time you get to 16 nowadays, and this is the one problem I have with academies, is that I, I look at all the heroes of yesteryear, the 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 the, 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 Glenn Odles, the Georgie Bests, the, the Rodney Marshes, the Stan Bowles, the Frank Worthington's, uh, that Tony Curry's, that sort of ilk of player. They all learned at playing on the streets, you know, and street football where there was no mm. route, no regulation. You just got the ball and you dribbled and dribbled or did whatever trick or did whatever. Mm. Every, every, you know, so you learned everything. And But nowadays, there was nobody there stifling your natural in, individual growth. Um, now, once you get into a pro club, in my day at 14, 15, 16, 
by the time you're 16, they're starting to then instill in you discipline and organizational skills and all of those things. So there's plenty of time to learn. But the problem is kids are getting into pro clubs at sort of under nines today. Yeah. And I worry that the coaching, because when you're a coach of an under nine team, you see being a good coach is producing a winning team. Mm. A winning team doesn't matter a jot at any age other than the first team. Um, because ultimately your job as an under nine coach is to play a role in helping create a footballer that's going to be one day good enough to play in the first team. That's the only um, thing that you have to worry about. But often coaches at that level, they feel they're getting judged on um, producing a winning team. Yeah. Um, but I They're remember, almost a bit too man-made, aren't they? A lot of players today. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at yesteryear, I mean, I don't know how old these guys are, but if you look at yesteryear and, and some of the players uh, that floated around uh, with the, 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 the skill levels and, and the technical levels, and, and you watch... So modern day football, yeah, it's very athletic. It's very powerful. Um, I'm not even sure that they're very fit, to be honest with you, because um, they can't play two games a week. <laughs> they have to be rotated. And, they, and they, weren't, they weren't playing on the pitches you might have been playing on, Mickey. Exactly. Right? And, well. and we never got rotated because we only had 15, 16 players. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so, so the, point being, the point being is, is that the modern day football are wild being very good in lots of things they sort of for me they like a little bit of inventiveness a little bit of creativity a little bit of flair um the sort of uh, we, we don't see many david janolas we don't see many glenn Olds. No, um, we don't they, they sort of seem lost to the game because we're going for this and i'm wondering if it's academies that is stifling the natural um the natural talent of the youngsters of their natural their own natural individual de- development through playing street football or school football. Mm. Within school football, you have to remember you might play against one good player in the opposing team. Mm. So therefore, you can take liberties. You can beat three and four men. But when you're beating four and three and four men, you have to learn ways of doing it and, mm. and what's successful and not what's not. Um, but I don't see many players today. It's, it, it's seen no. all in that rigid, uh, well-organised way. Mickey, if we Sorry. just go back to um, the early 80s when you did sign pro... Um, you obviously didn't play in the 81 Cup final. You obviously in and around, in and around it. Um, yeah. What was that like? You know, what was the, um, you know, signing Villa and Ardiles from, uh, from Argentina? What sort, you know, what did that bring to the club? Well, number one, it was surreal. Um, <laughs> it, was like, it was like the strangest, I mean, you can imagine it, can't you? You're sitting in the dressing room one day and in walks an Argentinian, two Argentinian World Cup winners in England. What? <laughs> you know, it had never been, never been done before. It was um, the strangest of things. And, and, and Ozzy walks in and he's, he's smaller than me. Uh, um, and you think to yourself, wow. And, um, and Ricky's a mountain of a man. Incredible, but the... the um, the atmosphere around the club was just absolutely mind-blowing. It was like, wow, we've signed two Argentinian World Cup winners. And then training with them, I mean, my my thoughts were, I, I couldn't speak to them. And they're my closest, I mean, Ozzy's my closest friend, uh, but I couldn't speak to him for a long time. 
Um, but when we were out on the pitch, my, my sole intentions was I wanted to show them both how, how talented I was. So every opportunity I got, I wanted to do a skill, a pass, because I thought these Argentinians will love the way I play the game. Um, and I remember one thing in particular when <laughs> reserves for first team and I was playing against Ozzy very early in his arrival. And um, he was about 15 yards to the right of me. So I'm calling the ball for the ball off Tony Box to throw it to me. And he throws it to me. I'm looking around. I see Ozzy sprinting towards me as the ball's coming. And I was thinking, yeah, come on. I'm going to spin you like you're not there. About so the corner of my eye, yeah, as the ball comes to my left foot, and I'm thinking, right, I'm just going to glance it off the outside of my left foot and spin out there, yeah? And he's going to come there thinking I'm going to control it there, you know, bump there, and he's going to come and nick it. And I'm watching and I'm laughing. I'm laughing in my head. Yeah, come on. One more step, one more step. And obviously, at one, there comes a point where I have to take my, my peripheral vision away from him to focus on the ball and make sure I get it glanced off my left foot. And as I took my eye away and I glanced it off my left foot and spun, I was laughing. And Ozzy was running away with the ball. So what he did was he sprinted across this way, allowed me, watching the very moment that I took my eye off him, knew exactly what I was going to do. And I spun out and he was he changed direction at the last second and gone round there and got the ball. And I thought, what? Well, I got a shock. Now, I always prided myself on knowing what was around me and where it was coming from. He was there. Um, how's he done that? How's it? Yeah, and it taught me a big lesson. It taught me never to underestimate the opponent. Yeah. Um, he's a World Cup winner. His brain was stunning. But I'll never forget this, um, what he did to me that day. He mugged me right off. Uh, <laughs> so, so it taught me a lesson. Did Ozzy always see pictures in his head, Mickey, on, on the field? Was he one of those players where everything was like a couple of steps ahead of him? And even for yourself, did you feel that way? I have to say that um, without the ball, I would say Ozzy was the cleverest footballer I've ever seen. Without the ball. That seems wow. strange to say, given how gifted he was with the ball. Without the That's ball, he, he knew three, three seconds earlier where he needed to be because the ball was going to be there and he was going to, uh, the centre the centre forward, for instance, would run out here, there. Paul Miller, say, or Robo would run with him. And as the ball arrived at the centre forward's feet, Ozzy was arriving and nick it from his feet. It was three seconds ahead of where the play was, and he knew where the ball was going and where he had to be to nick it. Absolutely unbelievable skill he had. So without the ball, I would say, without having an earth-shattering tackle, Without being phenomenally good in the air, he's five foot three. <laughs> <laughs> he was the best defensive midfielder I've ever seen. Wow. His brain, his brain was so far ahead of the game when he didn't have the ball. High praise. When he had that. the ball, he was when he had the ball, interestingly enough, he was more instinctive. Mm. You know, it happened more off the cuff and more naturally. But without mm. the ball, he knew where he was going three seconds early, which meant he was always in the position to nick the ball. Mm. So you sort of made your breakthrough into that team in the 82 season uh, after we beat Man City in, in the season before final. Yeah. Um, what was that like trying to get into that side? Because obviously they'd just won the FA Cup 
Um, you're you're doing all you can to get into that eleven, which you did. Um, what was that like? I have to say, number one, trying to get into that team was incredibly difficult. Um, you know, with Glenn Hall, Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Velia, I never was going to be a Tony Galvin, so I was never even challenging for his position. But I had these three decisions and I knew it was going to be incredibly tough, but I, I never doubted that I could. And I remember on the season after the uh, 81 Cup final, which I was in the squad, played a few games that season, um, I remember Keith had offered me a two-year contract. And I remember in pre-season of the 82 season, um, I went to Keith and I said, Keith, I don't want to sign a two-year contract. He said, why? I said, because I just want a one-year. And he said, why? I said, well, I said, I just want a one-year, Keith. I said, because I want to play in the team. And I said, and now what I want is for you to promise me that if an opportunity arises, put me in. I said, I accept I'm not going to start in the team because you've got playing Aussie Rick. I said, but if someone's injured, an opportunity arises, just please give me my chance. And I think it was the September, an opportunity arose, right? And I signed a one-year contract, which is quite brave, really, mm, because obviously it's, it's quite an insecure job football and you're always looking for some sort of stability and, and security. Um, but true to his word, in the September, he put me in. We're playing West Ham at White Hartley in September 82, right? Come on, this is my chance. This is my chance. I'm playing with great players. Um, it's a great, great team. Come on, let's do it. Let's go for it. Play West Ham, everyone. We lose 4-0. David Cross gets four goals. I hardly get a kick of the ball. I thought, fuck it. I blew it. <laughs> what manager, what manager is going to put me back in the team now? 4-0 at home, West Ham. I'm never getting another chance. Not this season anyway. I was really, really um, broken hearted. Um, I felt I'd let myself down. Maybe I'd put too much pressure on myself to play well uh, because with me, I was natural. It, 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 everything had to happen natural for me. I couldn't, I couldn't program what I was going to do because when I got the ball, I did what I saw. Um, I might have the picture before I got the ball, but I still chose the, the, the best option that I saw. So I might have a picture here, a picture there, a picture there, and a picture there, four options, but I've got the ball, right, which one's the best option now? Because... When I haven't got the ball, it's coming when it's traveling to me, this option looks the best. But when I've got the ball under, that option now looks the best. So I always tried to play it off the cuff, the final decision, but know what was on. I thought, I'm not getting another chance here, no chance. And Keith being Keith, and that's why I hold him in such high regard, the opportunity arose um, later in the season. I think it was, I, I can't remember, I think it was October. And incredibly, I had no expectations he put me in, right? Um, did I spend my time preparing, saying, come on, this is it, this is it? Nah, I just chilled and relaxed. I didn't, didn't give it a thought, the game. I thought, right, 
this is going to just be about me and my natural ability, right? We're in the dressing room. I said to Glenn, I said, Ozzy, do you mind if I get the ball from the kickoff? I'm sure it was the kickoff because um, I, I wanted a first, I wanted my first touch. Yeah. And I wanted to do something special um, from the first second I got the ball because I wanted to say, I'm here. You can't stop me. Because when I was at my best, I didn't believe anybody could stop me. So what I wanted to do was, from the first whistle, get the ball, put myself in a position whereby you can't get this ball off me. Because it, it made me feel arrogant. It made me feel like you can't get it off me. Once you couldn't, you can't. And of course, I got the ball, um, did something good. And from there, I then received the pass off Aussie, beat three players on a run, pinged a 30 yard pass to Glenn at the far post. He cushioned it back into Mark Falco to volley in. Oh. Onwards and upwards. And, and the game just went from I got voted man of the match, we won 3 0. Um, I, I, I did, I played superb, um, scored a wonder goal, got goal of the month. From that moment on, never looked back. I think I played 45 games that season. Um, we won the FA Cup, we reached the, the Milk Cup final, we got sem- knocked out of Barcelona, Ray Clements' mistake, semi-final of Cup Winners' Cup, should have won the league, but faltered towards the end because we had played, we, we were in for all four, and we faltered mm. right at the end in, in, in three of the four, really. Mm. Um, even though we should have beaten Liverpool, we were one minute away, one nil up. Um, so, yes, was it what was it like playing in that team? Incredible. Um, sometimes he sort of played second fiddle to Glenn um, because he was a genius. Uh, yeah. um, and when Glenn was... if. If Glenn wasn't on, I'd become the second option, which was which was a nice compliment um, because everyone trusted me when to give me the ball. Um, so it was an unbelievable team to play. In fact, Ozzy Ardila says it's the best team that he's ever played in. Wow. Uh, in 1982, he said it was an unbelievably great team. It was. It was a fantastic football team. And, and, and even Ozzy says we should have won all four that year mm. or at least three of the four. Um, we were brilliant, but everything transpired against us. Oh, the Falkland started. Was he at the league? So not only did he miss the the final of the FA Cup, yeah. he missed he missed um, the running um, of the game. So we lots went lots of things went against the backlog of fixtures, mm. um, whereby we didn't have enough players to fill in. And, um, and in the end, the, the the amount of games playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, every week was was a killer. But what a team! Mm. What what a group of players! You know what I love most about them? I love most about that team was that we're still best mates today. Mm, yesterday, right. I, play, I played golf with them guys yesterday. I'm playing wow. golf with them guys tomorrow. Uh, we meet up for Christmas dinners, um, 15, 16 of us, all in a restaurant. Lots of times throughout the year, you'll catch 10, 12 of us playing in a little golf, golf tournament between ourselves. And that's what's so wonderful about it is that, um, you know, when you're playing, it's, you're just acquaintances, really, because you can leave tomorrow and move to another club and then suddenly you, you make friends there and they become your acquaintances. Um, but our friendship has long stood the test of football. 
um, stood the test of retirement. And I, and I love it. That's such a wonderful group of boys. Um, and we hold such memories with one another. One thing I know, one thing I get about Tottenham, it's probably because obviously being a massive big Tottenham fans, is the RX players are like they're always together, aren't they? You know, match yeah. days and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, and, and it's it's not something you see at a lot of other clubs, maybe Liverpool potentially, but but I always found that Tottenham look at they you know they look after the ex players and the ex players are always together and always they all know each other and, and do you know what I mean? Like, you know, even from years the successful yeah. years of the sixties, you Martin I'm, Peters. I'm, I'm great friends with Cliff Jones, Martin Chibis, yeah, Cliff Jones. Bill B. I see them on a regular basis and I play golf with them. Um, we have a, a togetherness. Uh, it's, it's like it's like a family. And I know that often we call it the Spurs family. Yeah. Uh, but this group of players from so many different eras um, have a togetherness that is... And I'm, I'm certain that the club have played a big part in that also because the club are, um, I'm not sure that they've always had the reputation of looking after their former players, but I mm. think, I think that one, I don't think they owe any ex player anything mm. uh, because the club was great for the player, the player was great for the club, and, and that's how it football works. And that someday you retire and someone takes your place, there's nothing owed it by either party. So um, if they look after you, you look after them. It works wonderfully well, and 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 I'm certain that the club and the way they look after us all, um, you know, it's obviously great for you guys. But I think on an, on a uh, if you look at it another way, it's absolutely brilliant for us fans to yes. see you guys together. I think yes. that you you. I, you get even more legendary status in a way. I mean, you know, even on Twitter, you get the likes of, you get the likes of Cliff Jones on Twitter, you yeah, know, stuff like that. It's just, just, it's just wonderful. I mean, that's before obviously my time. You know, and, I mean, you know. Is, it, is, is it legendary status because of number one, that we haven't been as successful as we should have been as a club in the last 30 years? Is it because the, the, these players that we're talking about all won trophies for the club? Uh, or is it because these players still show their love for the club? That, uh, that's the one. The fans, that's the one thing. And the fans actually um, appreciate that former players are now mm. fans. Mm. Um, I, I, I think it's I think it's the latter out of everything. You can yeah. see you can see the love they had for the football club. Oh, and they, the love they the love they and the, the love they 100%, had playing. I can honestly say that. Um, the vast majority of players that I socialise with on the golf course, whatever we do, no matter how many of us, I can honestly say, I don't think there's not one of them that doesn't love Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a reflection of what an incredible football club this football club is. Um, and, and, and also the fact that it should tell you, the fans, what this football club is all about because mm. we've seen it from the inside. We've seen it from uh, in its glory and in and, and, and it's and in its downtimes. We've seen it how big it is from the inside. We've seen it. It's mammoth from the inside. Mammoth. 
Uh, and it's what I would say is a club that's waiting to be up there with the best in the world because it's got so much going. And I've said this for years, not just now that we've got yeah, stadium, yeah. etc. Uh, I, I genuinely believe this. It, it's massive football club, and 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 um, you know, the 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 Danny Blanchflower quote: the, "The game's about the glory." And, you know, it's, yeah. it's about it's about entertaining. It's not about boring the opposition to death. It's about going out and beating them. You know, those quotes are what we've got to remember because over the last five years, for instance, we've had some. Um, and stupid, silly fans of clubs that win loads of trophies, and they think that's what football is about. And of course it is. And, and I'm no different. I want us to win hundreds of trophies. I want us to win more than anyone. Um, uh, but I also recognise that, the, 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 you know, there's the great Bill Nicholson quote where, oh. you, you know, like, um, in, in, even in defeat, we'll carry with it and it goes glory. There's always, in my mind, and when I lost... I hate losing, I hate it, but I can lose. As long as I walk off the pitch feeling I did everything or we did everything to win. That's lo losing in glory. Right? Mm. People argue there's no glory in losing. Well, there is because you can actually hit the ball 14 times and lose to a last minute deflected goal, mm. you know? So yeah. it's, it's, there's glory. Football's much bigger than winning a trophy. Mm. Um, there's the glory of the game. The, the game is so vast, so big. Bill Nicholson shows what a genius he is when he made that quote. That quote's the greatest footballing quote I've ever heard or ever read. Um, and I think genius. to myself, you have to be a genius. And, you know, my only sadness about the quote is it wasn't me who said it, because our history is the one who made this incredible quote. Mm. And it's absolutely an amazing quote, but it, it absolutely encompasses everything that we are. That it's You know, I look at the 81 team, for instance. The 81 team, that victory is synonymous with everything that Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is, is about. It's, it's about doing it in style. It's about mm. playing with flair. It's about yeah. playing with creativity, playing with talent, showing off your flair and... Everything about it, exciting people, that's synonymous with us as a football club. Yeah. Right? And if we... People from the outside don't get that, though, Mickey, do they? That's, no, no, that's, of course not. That's we, don't, what... we don't expect them to because they they base, I, I... Their, they base their glory on winning a cup. Um, yeah. We've won, you know, they talk about, we have, you know, it's only because you haven't won any trophies. We're about fifth in the all-time league of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of trophy winners in this country. You know, fifth, fifth or might even be fourth. I mm. can't remember if it's fourth or fifth. Who bad's that? So we've won enough trophies. I think we've won 17 uh, domestic trophies. I think Arsenal have won about 20, 26, 27. Yeah. So we're not that far behind them. But uh, So we've won enough trophies to know, about, know what it feels like to taste the glory. But it's much greater than that. Yeah. When I go to watch Spurs play, I want to see my team produce the magic. I want them to put me on the edge of my chair. I want to stand up and sing because I'm so excited about what I'm watching, what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing. I don't want to sit in the stand being bored to death mm. for a one-nil boring win. I don't want to see yeah. it. I don't want to see it. Right. Um, the Ajax to... game is the epitome of it, I think. The, the, the Ajax the... game is, is a symbol of what's great about our football club, it, what is capable at our football club. 
and the feelings that our football club can generate. We can generate the utmost despair, sadness, happiness, joy. Yeah. Every single emotion that's ever been invented or talked about, we can experience it at Spurs. And that's in the first minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, by the time you get to the 90 minute, your nerves are wrought with. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. When you, it's, about, it's... when you talk about what we're capable of delivering and what our football club is all about, that moment, that moment of complete and total despair, the moment when they've got a goal kick and there's 40 seconds on the clock. Mm. And you know he's going to take 10 seconds to kick it and it's going to be downfield as far as it can go and they're going to pin it up there and we're out. That moment of complete and total despair to turn it in the flick of a dice to turn from that to the most, probably the most single or one of the two, one of the three single greatest moments that Spurs Football Club's ever produced. Mm. The VAR decision at Manchester City yeah, that, was that, one of them. You know, I, from, I've never seen anything like that. that I've never seen me. anything like that in I, my I, life. I, I, went I was on the floor. I was, yeah. I was on WeChat. I snapped my Achilles. I was screaming at Eric Erickson. Why didn't you put it in Rosette? I don't think I believe <laughs> putting it in Rosette. But I get it in Rosette. <laughs> and then I heard, oh, it's been for offside. Yeah. Be, oh, Oh, hang on, hang on. <laughs> you all sit there like that. <laughs> so you've got that as, you know, when you're talk, talking about experiences, emotions and, and, and a high to a low, um, will that ever be beaten? Then you've got Mora's um, third goal, Ajax. Unbelievable. Oh. And then you talk, about, you talk about 84 UEFA Cup final, Danny Thomas missing the penalty to win. And then Tony Park saving the next penalty to yeah. win it. Yeah. You know, three, three emotional <clears throat> moments that take, took you uh, and the glory of support and Tottenham Hotspur football club, it took you from the depths of despair to the heights you will probably never experience and experience again in football. Mm. You know? Yeah. Three unbelievable moments. And on that, what we talk about being greater than winning. And on that, Nicky, I just want to go back to winning the FA Cup um, in in a few words. What was that like? Um, well, as no doubt, I mean, maybe not so much you, but in my day, the FA Cup was the greatest cup competition in the world. I mean, it was televised live throughout the old wide world. It was, uh, the build-up was a week long and then the day, the, 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 the morning of the game, it would be from seven o'clock in the morning through seven, uh, nine o'clock at night. Um, so, of course, it was every single schoolboy's dream to play in a FA Cup final. I was no different. And, and um, in 81, to get so close to achieving my schoolboy dream, because um, I think I played in the last game before the FA Cup final, I think it was West Brom away, and I played in the game. And I thought, you never know, you never know. And unfortunately, um, there was only one sub in this, those days, which compounded it as well. And um, I didn't make the team. So I was so close, but yet so far. So to come back the following year uh, and, and, and fulfil my schoolboy dream um, and the emotion of 
fulfilling that dream and uh, and the emotion of seeing your parents in the stand, um, your brothers, your sisters, uh, and, and how proud that they felt. Um, just incredible, I incredible. I, 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 if there's a feeling of pride, I don't think that could ever be better for me. No mm. one can, once. Um, once, once I felt more pride, I'm talking about football pride, um, than the FA Cup final. You know, my, my pride was about fulfilling my uh, schoolboy dream, but also fulfilling my parents' dreams for one of their sons. Mm. You know, your parents' dream of uh, their children having the best um, and achieving the best, and, and, mm. and here they were watching their son fulfill his dreams. So the pride they must have been feeling, but even with all that, the the finale overtakes everything. Uh, I can't ever. Sorry, I get a lump in my throat and goosebumps when yeah. I talk about it. I can imagine, it was, mate. I can imagine. It was the most to be stood on the pitch as a little backstreet boy from Sunderland with Spurs heroes from era upon era upon era um, to be stood there. Looking along the line at the 60-61 players who won the double, uh, the first British team to ever win in Europe. Mm. Um, I, to be stood there and then the present team comes on the pitch. I mean, just beating Man United, the blasting out glory, glory, getting to sing on the pitch, can't smile without you, one of my favourite songs. <laughs> and get, stand in the middle of the pitch singing it. Um, the, 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 knowing that my, um, children, my family, my children... We're in the stadium. Um, there'll never be a moment to surpass that. And Ozzy and everybody says to me, hang on, winning the UEFA Cup was better than that, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no. Because, again, getting back to the glory of winning the UEFA Cup was unbelievable, but, but the glory of being there on that pitch at mm. that moment, with the emotion surrounding that moment, and then just as if to finally... Finally, for once in his life, he allowed everybody to know who he supported. God decided to show his true colours. He brought yeah. the rainbow from the club mm. to the to the shelf. So to the shelf, you know. Wow! I mean, God finally told us he's a Spurs fan. Yeah. You know, it was like nothing I'd, 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 I'll ever experience from a footballistically. Anyway, mm. I'll never experience in the the way I felt that day. And I had my picture, um, we obviously got zoomed on telly. I came out when I was introduced to the audience, so, to, to the fans. I was in between, I was behind Ginola and in front of Glen Oddle. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I can only presume they put us together for the three best looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but when I was watching Ginola come out, someone zoomed in on my face, right? And when I got home that night, um, there was a picture of someone had obviously taken a picture of it and they sent home um, this picture to my Facebook page and my Twitter page, right, with the editing. And I had this look on my face and the editing was, if pride had a face. Brilliant. And I thought, wow, I mean, lump in my throat, shivers. Yeah. As I say it, I get goosebumps everywhere, you know, because I was so proud that day that I, I, I don't think 
anybody could have felt prouder than me that day. Um, wow. I mean, I was like a little schoolboy. I got, it was 49 former players there. I got 49 autographs. <laughs> Unbelievable. I can't not ask you about the UEFA Cup final, uh, purely because uh, as a kid, that was all I watched on on video because, because my old man recorded it. I, I, I must have watched it over 30 times. I, I loved my every old, minute of it. My old man was there. He tells me about oh. it all the time. Um, so, again, that must have been massive. I know it wasn't your most proudest moment, but to win the UEFA Cup, um, especially in oh, those it, circumstances. It was my best moment as a footballer. Um, it was also... Two assists in the, in the match. provided the goals, assists. didn't you, Mick? Yeah, you provided yes, the goals, provided didn't you, Mick? both goals, yeah. Both goals. I'll I, I tell you something, right? It was the best moment in football as a footballer. And it was also my saddest moment as a footballer because that was the day Keith had resigned. Mm. So I felt yeah. incredibly sad, filled with all... But I, I, I defy anybody to say that winning a massive... In those days, the European... The UEFA Cup was massive. Mm. The second, third, fourth. I mean, we were playing Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and Barcelona because second, third, fourth, and fifth all went into the UEFA Cup. So it was a much tougher mm. cup to win than the European Cup. Um, so it was magical, and, and and I defy anybody to say that. Uh, you know, if you when you're a young boy, if someone says you're going to win a massive, massive European trophy in front of your own fans on your own stadium. Mm. Yeah. What? It's not going to happen. It doesn't, those things don't happen. Cup finals are played elsewhere. Mm. They're not played on your own stadiums. So to, to win it, to win it with the, the last, the very last kick of the game. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it was just, honestly, and, and to this day, I'll never forget when Danny Thomas missed. I was supposed to be fifth penalty taker. But I was suffering with cramp at the end of the game. And um, um, you have to put your five names in to the ref. Uh, and obviously Keith didn't want to take that sort of risk. And as Danny was walking up, I'd recovered from cramp. And I was thinking, you lucky bastard, Danny. That should be me. I should be taking that penalty. I should be going down history as the, the man who scored the winning goal to, to win the UEFA Cup. And then he fucking missed, didn't he? <laughs> my, my legs turned to jelly. Oh, shit, it's me next. I've recovered, it's me next. Keith, I've got cramp again. <laughs> you know, it was honestly, trust me, um, I went from um, the envy, I wasn't envious, I'm, I'm desperate for him to score, but what I mean is a, a sort of an envy that I, I wished it was me taking mm. it, to, oh, shit, it's me now, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, but incredible, incredible. You can't, you can't buy memories like that. You, you can't buy them. They have to be earned and, mm. and worked for. And um, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful occasion. Excellent stuff. Do you still have the medals today, obviously, somewhere? Safe? I give them away. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I give them to, I give them to the club dentist who I think has since given them to the Tottenham Museum. Okay. All oh, right, so okay. They're in, they're in very safe hands. Mm. Um, I gave That's up kind of you. That's really kind. Um, 
the way I look at it is, is that um, I can... You don't need a medal to give you those memories, I suppose. Exactly. It's the memories that can... I know I was there. I know I did it. Yeah. Uh, my, my medals, my shirts, they just were locked away in a little cupboard, a little room somewhere, somewhere I didn't even know. Um, they were locked away. I never saw them, never took them out, uh, never looked at them. Uh, never did anything with them, so they were best used for someone else to really bask in the glory of it all. Mm. Um, and, and obviously, if and when they do get put in the museum, if they ever do, then there's going to be an incredible lot of people will see them, mm. uh, and, yes. and, and, and it'll mean a lot more to them. The medals, that is, not mm. the game. The game will never mean more to anyone than me um mm. the same as me but not more um but the medals are just a little medal um that says you won it mm. but i know i won it i know yeah. i was there i know it and i've never been one to worry about materialistic things i think um making people happy is far far greater than having something materialistically so the, the happiness that brought one my dent the club dentist uh, and two, hopefully, the, the many that go and view them in the Spurs Museum when it does open. I, I can't wait for it to open. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be incredible. Um, Mickey, I think that's perfect time to end there. We've had a good hour and a half of your time. Thank you. Um, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. No, my pleasure, guys. Good luck with it. See you all in the future. Rich, that was our chat with Mickey's ha Mickey Hazard and it was just it was brilliant I mean we learned so much from him in terms of you know what it was like to play with some of those greats in that top Tottenham side um I mean what did what did you think what there was two main things I was amazed about one was how he never seemed to be fussed with the with the sort of material goods, the money that being a professional footballer brings. And all he wanted was just to be he just wanted to please the fans. He wanted to he wanted to send all the fans home happy after every game, he wanted to win trophies for the fans. Um and that is a, that is an amazing attitude. And then secondly, how how good a football club must we have? Um, if we've got a northern lad coming down to London, early teens, mid-teens, and he has absolutely fell in love with the club, and he's never left. Even when he retired, he, he's still involved with the club now. He does he does all the charity events. He does legend stuff. He he does everything. So how how amazing must that club be for you to fall in love with it and spend yeah. a, a good forty years of your life involved with it? I mean, obviously, we come from a very biased point of view. Uh, but it, it, I, the one thing like I've always said, and going on your second point, is that we just look after our ex-players, legends so well. You know, they're always at each game. You know, whether, like I said in, in the chat, whether it's Cliff Jones, whether it's, you know, Gary Mabber, et cetera, et cetera. And they're loved by the fans. The fans treat them in such high regard. Um and and it's we just we just look after them so well, and they have such good relationship with the fans. Um, 
and and yeah, it, it, it's it's phenomenal how someone who you know did live up in the northeast has come down as a young schoolboy to come down to the the bright lights of London and 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 just fall in love with like he said such a fantastic football club a prestigious football club um and again we are you know I suppose we are being a bit biased here but it, it's a wonderful football club to play for it's steeped in history um yes there are trophies in that cabinet before we get some comments um there's a lot of trophies in that cabinet um <laughs> and and it, it was just great to hear his passion, his love, his, you know, the, the thing that all the old players hang out mm. together still, you yeah. know, they go on the golf days. You see it on his Twitter when he's yeah. having a golf day or sometimes do a, like a live stream or something like that, where he's going around speaking to all the players and you see Aussie there, Glenn, mm. uh, you know, Tony Galvin's and stuff like that. Um, uh, which, which is just brilliant. And, um, I, I, it was just a great chat. I absolutely loved it. Um, and it was just nice to hear about his career and, and, mm. and all the way through it. And, you know, he's won some some of the biggest trophies that Tottenham have won. I was just going to say, um, Jambo, in, in um, when we started this pod, would you ever thought that you'd, you'd have spoken to a UEFA Cup winner and, and FA Cup winner? Um, you'd have only dreamt of it. I know I would have. Yes. Yeah, and and so humble about it as well. Mm, I mean, giving away yeah. your medals, um, and which are now going to be in the Tottenham Hotspur Museum, um, it, it's just and, and I I agreed with him a little bit, and I you know I can't speak from from his level obviously, but I kind of got what he meant was those memories probably those memories belong to him. Mm. You don't need a medal to tell you about those memories and and being in that final and assisting the goals in that final and, yeah. and stuff like that so it, it i really really liked it and that showed how humble how humble mickey was and and is and um yeah fantastic guest great way to start the the new series um and so, i hope people yeah. enjoyed it at home um so as usual something new that we want to start this year um we want you to subscribe. We want you to subscribe, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We want you to subscribe. So hit that subscribe button going forward. Uh, download the podcast as many times as you can. Tell your friends about it. Please leave a review as well. We really want those reviews on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, tell us how much you're enjoying the podcast. Um, and, and, and that's how we can build this podcast even more. Um, and get those bigger, better guests on and, and um, just keep it growing because we know how much you guys are enjoying it at home. We do get a lot of messages to say how good it is. We get a lot of non-league uh, managers, coaches, players that message us and say they're really enjoying it. Um, and, you know, when's the next episode and stuff like that. So, yeah, hit that subscribe button, hit that download button and leave a review. So until next time, this has been me, Jamie Roberts and my co-host Richard Kyson on the Hitting the Areas podcast.